Well, this morning, I have to start with a little business and then with a couple of announcements, okay? I'm going to throw this as quickly as I can because I want to get to the homily. Uh, last week, we spoke about Together in Mission, and the <clears throat> these envelopes are at the end of the pews. If you could pass it down to uh, at least one per family, those who would like them. And uh, some of you get these in the mail, as I do, because if you gave last year, the year before, you're probably on their list, and they invite you to do it again. Um, and so you may have already taken care of business and sent in your pledge or your gift or whatever. But um, if you haven't participated, I really want to encourage you to do so. Um, and remember that this is a pledge today. You don't have to put any money in this. It's a pledge. And we're pledging for the whole year. And so the hope is that I'm going to suggest a number. It's a reasonable one. If people could say, I could pledge $10 a month, by December, that'd be $110. That would be fantastic, because if we had 200 people do that, we'd reach our goal. Reach our goal right there. So the more that participate and give $5 a month or $10 a month, you're going to help us reach our goal. You're going to help other parishes and schools that really need our help, and it'll come back and help our parish also. So today, if you could fill this out or take it home and fill it out, and I'm not going to run through the whole thing, but it's obvious. Name, first name, spouse's name, address, apartment number if you have one, zip code, email address, whatever. And then they ask you on the side for a pledge. And if you, if you put down a pledge and send it in, even without money now, they'll send you a letter each month saying, here's uh, inviting you to pay this month for your pledge. And you can send it in or bring it here on Sundays, and we can gather them all up and send them downtown, okay? So I really invite you to participate in this. And I want to say that... One of the things I try to do every day when I preach is to get a phrase or a word or a single concept or image uh, like a sledgehammer. What could you do, say about that? A whole bunch of things, you know, and, and then to build off of it so people remember that, a sledgehammer. You know, the kingdom of God is like a sledgehammer. Well, here's the line for this year, shine his light. That's what we're trying to do, shine his light. We're saying to parishes and schools that can't make it financially, hey, we'll give you a helping hand. Are they grateful? I lived in one for 12 years. Yes, we're grateful to get that kind of help. So if you are writing on this during my homily, don't, be, don't worry, I won't be offended. Uh, and you can fill it out and put it in the collection basket. Or after communion, we're going to have a special, not collection, but collecting the envelopes. And that will take place after communion. Secondly, um, this is something I, you know, good liturgy speaks for itself. You do things that, for example, the beginning of Mass, I kiss the altar, first thing I do, and at the end of Mass, I kiss the altar before I leave. And many people may ask the question, why is he kissing the altar? What's he doing? Why does he do that? Does it taste good? It's a sign of love and respect for the table of the Lord the table where the sacrifice takes place. For me, it's very meaningful. I don't know if it is for you, but when I kiss that altar, it just it arouses in me a sense of this deep respect for what we're about to do, share the Lord in our Eucharist at the table of the Lord. So I want to mention that during the sign of peace, uh, one of our servers will go back with a cross to the door, and I tell them this every week, and I don't know, and even if they do it, the people don't follow. But this is the idea, that during the singing of the Lamb of God, it's a procession song. 
And we're processing, we're singing, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. We sing it three times. Last time, um, grant us peace. And then we receive the Lamb of God as our bread of life. So it's a procession song in which we follow the cross down to the altar. And it, the cross, sometimes I see the cross walks all, all the way down by themselves. Gets up here, nobody followed. And then, then they start to come down at communion time. But that is the procession toward communion. So Larry's going to be pushing back there and say, go on, follow the cross, follow the cross. See if it happens today, okay? Thirdly, at the last Mass, we had our 10 or so young people that are going to, our catechumens that are going to be receiving on the night before Easter, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. And I was telling them today that I think they are a very special, unique, unique group in the church because I doubt that there are too many groups like them that their purpose for gathering here on Sunday is to hear the word and then they leave after the homily. They don't stay for the Eucharist because they're not even baptized yet. They go across the street and they share that word together. That's extraordinary. I know when I came here, um, I'm 46 years ordained and I was in, this is my third parish of 12 years. And um, um, I, I would preach every day, you know, so I would prepare, but, but it, I prepared differently, maybe I'll say lightly. But when the pandemic hit, I said, oh my God, you know, we don't even have daily mass now, right now. So I decided to start producing on our Facebook page a reflection on the Word of God. I've been doing it ever since. And it's been the most transformative thing for me in, in my priestly ministry. It really has been. Because I can say that, sure, I was a, a man of the Word of God before, but now I was immersing myself deeply and seeking the best I can. Because when you write it out and produce it, you think it through differently. And so I found that the Word of God actually transformed me very much. So I'm going to say this about five times today. Uh, USCCB.org, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops.org, USCCB.org. If you go on to USCCB.org and um, open that up in your browser, it, you'll, you'll be on the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops webpage, and there's a little place where you can click, and it'll say um, Daily Readings. And if you click on that, it'll open up for you this day all of the readings for the scriptures of the, of the Eucharist. And then on that page, there's a place where you can say, email to me, or something like that. And if you click on that, it will invite you to give your email address. So every single day, you will get delivered to your email, probably like 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, this word of God for the scriptures of the day. And I think it's probably one of the best ways we could prepare for Eucharist anyway, was to come already knowing something about that Word of God, hearing God speak to us. Today, uh, it demonstrates it beautifully in these scriptures. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the, uh, there, there's some just real richness today and some real challenge also. The first reading uh, came from Sirach, which is wisdom literature. And this, this literature in the Bible is just filled with wisdom sayings. And so this is how it, it starts. If you choose... You can keep the commandments, they will save you. If you trust in God, you too shall live. And then the second reading began, it's the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, it says, brothers and sisters, we speak a wisdom to those who are mature, not a wisdom of this age, 
nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. Rather, we speak God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden. And then we get a gospel that pries that open right before our eyes. Now, I made a big thing at the last Mass that the gospel today is two pages long. I didn't read the whole thing because be, I'd still be reading it right now. So what I did at the last Mass, I read the option, which is just about a little over a half a page. But then I realized as I proclaimed that, I, I, I thought, oh, it's missing some of the most important parts. So today I did a hybrid. I just read a portion of, of this two-page page so that I could get the one major point in it out, and there's a couple others, but it's too much to consider all of that. But in this passage today, uh, Jesus does something. Now, Jesus, in my opinion, was an extraordinary teacher, not just in his content, what he said, but in his technique, how he said it. Like at the beginning of the Mass, um, Rocio read this. Um, we've all heard some parents say, uh, uh, can you read that first part again, the introduction? The introduction to the mess? The first part about the parents, what they say. Some parents. No, no, no one here, elsewhere. Don't you dare talk back to yeah, me. Yeah, re read, read that intro. One parent says, don't you dare talk back to me. Another parent says, even more sternly, don't even look like you're going to talk back to me. Okay, thank you. Now, I don't know if any of you have said that. You know, but um, one is a little bit stronger than the other one. Don't even look like you're going to do it. Um, and today Jesus pulls one of these stunts. It's a technique, I think. You know, uh, if you have really a belligerent child that really needs it, you you, you say it more sternly. You know, um, you won't have a you won't be able to watch TV for two years. Oh, please, no one's going to do that. But but it certainly makes the point. So Jesus quotes the scriptures, and he says this. And by the way, just to help visualize it, you are my disciples. I'm Jesus. You're my disciples. And over here on this side are the scribes and Pharisees. These are the people that knew every letter of the law. They could recite it perfectly. They could tell you what it meant. Didn't mean they lived it. And they, in fact, they knew the law so well they knew how to get out of it. They knew all the loopholes. And Jesus called them all the time hypocrites. You're hypocrites. And he tell people, don't follow their example. But today, in this reading, it's as if he um, strokes them for a moment to make them feel all good, and then he slams them. Now, again, I don't know if... I think this is typical of children, and if somebody knows how to say this in Spanish after this Mass, help me out so I'll be ready for the next Mass. Have you ever had, a, like, a family gathering, and you got your kids there and some of their cousins and everything... And, and, and one of the cousins or does something wrong and does what they're not supposed to do and causes a big mess, and the parents come out and get mad at you, and you, and, and you say, Mom, I didn't do it. My cousin did it. And, and so uh, everyone turns on the cousin, did you do this? And, and there's a big ruckus over the cousin, and then the kid says, busted. It's nice when somebody else gets busted. Ah, you're busted. And that's what Jesus does today. Um, he says, don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or smallest part of the letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Then he says, therefore, to you disciples, talking about them, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You got that? You're busted. And then he says, but whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called grace in the kingdom of heaven. So the scribes and Pharisees are thinking, Oh, look at us. He's, he's noticing how well we know the law. But then he does a double bust. If he busted all these people as disciples saying, you know, you've got to follow the law like them. And then he says, double busting them. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you've got to be better than them. Don't act like them. Even though they know the law, they don't follow it. So don't act like them. Double busted. And you could be sure they weren't happy to hear that. But then Jesus makes an application. And this is, this is pretty powerful. He says, you've heard the commandment, you shall not kill. What I tell you, if you get, even get angry at your brother, you're going to go to Gehenna. You're going to go to hell. Wow. If you even get angry. You know, but stop and think of it for a moment. The law of God is supposed to embrace good actions, a good life. Is it fair to say that this sounds like a worthy law of God? You shall not kill. Fair enough? Would anybody like to live in a city that says, as you enter the city, a big sign says, we kill a lot here? I don't think so. And in fact, even in Los Angeles, there are cities that can say something like, um, we only had three murders last year and we're so pleased it's so low, as opposed to that city over there, wherever there is, that had 187 murders and three of them were mass murders. That means four or more were killed. So where do you want to move with your kids? The 187 murders a year or the one that's three and we don't like that there's three murders, but wow. Pretty blessed. So Jesus says, you've heard, you've heard it said, you shall not kill. Well, you shouldn't be a barbarian. So what's so great about that? That's basic. But Jesus takes it further. He doesn't say the minimum you shouldn't kill. He says the maximum. You shouldn't even get angry at your brother. Work it out. And Jesus goes on to say, if you were at the door of the church and you brought a big gift for God, oh, whatever, food for the poor or something, and you said, I want to give this to the church, give this to God because I'm so, I love God and I know God loves me. So you're bringing your gift on down the altar. And Jesus is, wow, he's something. He says, you're on your way with your gift to the altar, and on the way you, it hits you. Oh, my God, I just had that fight with my cousin yesterday. I, oh, man. He says, put your gift down and go work it out with your cousin first. And after you've made peace and reconciled, now come and offer your gift to God. And to turn it around, he would be saying, God would prefer that you work out your relationship with each other before you give him a gift. I mean, really, think of Mother's Day. How many mothers 
If you had two sons that were fighting all the time, they had a, a fist fight the, the day before or, or on Mother's Day, and one got a bloody nose, the other one broke his arm in the fight, and it was a big fight. And then they come and say, Mom, we love you so much. Happy Mother's Day. What did you say? Stop fighting then. Knock it off. I hate this. I want my sons to be together. Oh, would it be any different with God, you think? This is all just basic wisdom from the biblical tradition. Who are we and how do we want to be? And God, through Jesus, is inviting us to something profound. What I didn't read, but just to give you an example, the next one he says, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. Duh, not a good thing. I don't know if any husband or wife would like to know that their spouse committed adultery two times last week. Hello? He says, what I say, if you even look at a woman or a man with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now, that's strong. But Jesus, again, is he's, he's pushing it forward a little bit more to challenge us, to challenge us. But we have to appreciate that the Bible's filled also with hyperbole, a lot of gross exaggeration to make a point. For example, Jesus says, if your right eye is causing you to sin, in other words, you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, uh, he says, it would be far better if you tore your right out, eye out and threw it away, because it'd be far better to go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with both. Now, please, he's not inviting anyone to tear their eyes out, but he makes the point further. If your right hand is an occasion of sin, you steal with it, you slap people, you, you use a, an obscene gesture with one finger. I don't know which one it is, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, you do that. said, far better to cut that hand off. Better go to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with both. And in his wisdom way of teaching, in his technique, He's challenging us to stop and think, to make the choices we need to. Now, that doesn't mean everybody probably at some time in their life has been lustful. I mean, it's, it's hard to go through life with all of the feelings and with all the advertising, with all the stuff that's thrown in front of our face. You know, it's, it's hard to not have lustful thoughts. But even if we do... We shouldn't be condemning ourselves, but maybe we should be opening ourselves more to God's plan and His love. Maybe our lustfulness or our, our wandering eye or wandering hand or whatever, maybe that becomes an occasion to say, God, you know, I know you're calling me to more. How can I get there? How do you lead me there? I always say our sin is an invitation to grace. Our sin is an invitation to being more and better if we respond to it in a way that we invite God into it, not push God away, oh, God, I'm so ashamed of myself, oh, God, I'm not worthy of you, God, I need you, come on in, help me, put it back together. Today, and again, this is great scripture, again, if you go to usccb.org, uh-oh, another commercial, hmm? usccb.org, and you uh, download the scriptures, you can actually cut and paste them and then put them in a document. And that could be one of your documents for Lent, that you open that one up and read it a couple times. And what if, on that 40-day journey of Lent, 
we had been harboring anger at our brother or sister or cousin or aunt or uncle or friend or neighbor or enemy or whoever it is, and we heard that scripture, and then maybe the third time we, wrote, we went, oops, oops, I'm right in there. That's me. That's me. And I got led to go reconcile with that person. Maybe to say some of the hardest words in the world, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or if they say, I'm sorry to us, if we say some of the other hard words, I forgive you. And that reconciliation takes place because we dare, we dare to open our ears and our hearts to God and His Word and allow it to do something incredible in us, maybe to transform our lives.